Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Kella. I am Kella. I am Koel. And we're back. <laughs> what? We're back. Ooh, stay Whoa. tuned, folks. excited to listen to you. I'm excited to have a case. I feel like I haven't done one in so long because John Wayne Gacy took up so much of my fucking brain. <laughs> like, I never, ever want to have to research him again, and I'm glad I don't, because so I record an episode of him. We, I was talking um, about that with a friend of mine. You know, once you, once you do the research and you feel like it takes up all of your time, it's the only thing that you're focused on, especially in a podcast setting... And then it's like, ugh, like once I'm done with this case and I put it out into the world, I never have to think about about this fucker ever again. Yeah, really. And I can just move on with my life and not <laughs> think about Scott Peterson or whatever. Yeah, don't get us wrong, though. We absolutely love researching. And the reason we're so exhausted after we record is because we've spent so much time and energy researching because we want to give the best, like, accurate content and all that good stuff. I know personally, like, it takes me multiple days <laughs> to get, like, everything written out because I have to check every single Google source ever <laughs> yeah. to make sure it's accurate. Well, and you know, I... when I did the Cecil Hotel one mm-hmm. and it was, like, suicide after suicide after suicide, yeah. I I had to keep getting up and moving away from my computer and doing something because I was, like, it was I depressing can't. me. Yeah. And so, yeah, especially when you get into nitty greet, nitty, nitty details about, you know, certain murders and like like when you talk about like evisceration it's not (laughs) not exactly conversation you want to think about over lunch right especially when you're researching by yourself because you have no one to bounce it off of yeah and since we don't know what we're presenting it's not like i can every once in a while you'll rush into the living room and be like oh my god this case like i'm so ready to be done with this case like it's just taking taking a lot mentally to get it done and it's just really interesting that you know because, I mean, it can be morbid, but... Of course, yeah. Uh, but I, th- I like to think that we create at least, like, a safe environment to listen to things like this in, and we're not too overly graphic, and we're definitely, like, accurate, like I said. Um, of course, advocating for the victims when we do, and really trying to figure out, like, why these people did what they do, rather than just... I mean, I know we call them all these kinds of names, like, all the names under the sun, but... While we're calling them these names, we're also like, okay, and this is probably why they did what they did, you Right, know? Like, yeah. That being said, we're going to get into it, and this is a local case for us. A local case. Okay. We are going to be talking about Angel Macherino Resendez, a.k.a. the Railroad Killer. (gasps) Oh my gosh, this was suggested to us so long ago. It was. I'm so excited to do this one. Oh my gosh. Thanks for suggesting. (laughs) Whoever suggested. Who was it? Tawny? It was Tawny. Tawny. Hi, Tawny. Thanks, Tawny. Well, this is for you, girl. Angel Macherino Resendez was born on August 1st, 1960, in Izucar de Matamoros, a city in the state of Puebla, Mexico. He was born to Virginia Resendez de Macherino and his father, Juan. I guess his father's last name was Resendez, but it didn't say it, so I didn't want to be, like, wrong. So his father is just Juan. Just Juan. <laughs> Moments after he was born. Moments after he was born. Oh, no. Angel was dropped on his head <gasps> and knocked unconscious. As a baby? As a, as like a one minute in the world baby. Oh my god. That is so 
Can you imagine that happening, though? Like, you've literally just given birth, and you brought this person into the world, and within moments, he is knocked unconscious. Who dropped him? They're the ones that need to be on trial. I didn't know. I didn't know. And, of course, you know, the brain is the most vulnerable, you know, when you're very, very young. Especially... Skulls. It's like their skulls yeah. hasn't even, haven't even formed. It's That's just what I was like, say. yeah, it's like little platelets that are. <laughs> it's pretty wild, right? That's awful. Knocked unconscious. <laughs> Keep saying knocked unconscious. Knocked unconscious. If you didn't hear it the first time. Um, on top of this, during Angel's childhood, his father was reportedly very abusive to both him and his mother. Um, the two never married, paving the way for them to split very early in his life. In no Angel's wonder, life, so. no wonder he's just Juan. Yes, yeah. yeah, he wasn't very important to the story. He's not important, because he's out of here. Um, on top of this, this is something we hear a lot as well, Angel was a very small, timid child, being described by everybody in his life, including family, as a loner his mm-hmm. whole childhood, like, growing up. He, not o- he was not an only child, as he had a sister named Manuela. However, he was raised by his single mother for the first six years of his life. So his dad left, him and his, his sister were raised just by mom. When he was three years old, it's reported that he fell off of the roof of a building and suffered serious injuries. He's three. What is he doing on the fucking roof of a building? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. Around that time, mom's not innocent. Don't worry. Clearly she's not watching her child, so I would think not. Wait, okay, go ahead. I'm listening. Around the time that Angel turned six, his mother Virginia married a military man and decided it was best that Angel go live with her brother, Rafael Resendez Ramirez. And if that name sounds familiar, I'm gonna tell you why. (laughs) Okay. This move was not the best option for young Angel, however, because while living there, he experienced a tremendous amount of sexual abuse from his uncle and was frequently sexually assaulted by a local pedophile as well. (sighs) Like, this is already, like, the worst Doesn't have a chance. Yeah. It's like Richard Ramirez all over again. Doesn't even have a chance. His aunt, Raphael's wife, stated otherwise and reportedly said that they both spoiled Angel to bits because they didn't have any children of their own. And so they made sure that he was loved and loved and adored the whole time that he was in their custody. You know, like a liar. (laughs) Like a liar. You're lying. That's not true. That is the opposite of the truth, which is a lie. That's awful, right? She's like, oh, no, he was just a spoiled little kid. Like, we loved him so much. We did this and that for him. He's like, I've been molested. Like, <laughs> I'm in the worst possible spot in life right now. How can you say that? God, it's awful. <sighs> this abuse went on for several years, unfortunately. And at the age of 11 in 1971, Angel decided that he was going to run away from home and live life on the streets. And how old? 11. <sighs> He's a baby, and he's like, it's better for me to live on the streets than to, with these fucking people. That claim well, yeah. that they've given me the best life. The, yeah. I, clearly, I've been so spoiled here, I want to run away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the light, logical thing to do, right? <laughs> it was at this point that Angel began to get involved with drugs and quickly became addicted to sniffing glue along with many other narcotics. Sniffing glue? Sniffing glue. I'm assuming we're not talking about, like, non-toxic Elmer's glue. We're talking, like, some... Probably, like, the industrial shit. <laughs> some, like, woodworking glue. Yeah. God, I don't know. What scary? kind of glue do you sniff? Is that the kind of glue you would sniff? Probably. I, I would assume some sort of, like, used for construction glue. <laughs> Whatever. Like, yeah. That's not Gorilla Glue that's getting sniffed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, that's what I, it's not Elmer's <laughs> glue. <laughs> He was also a target for bullies and abusers on the streets, 
and he had actually experienced an attack by a group of boys at one point. Like, they beat him with a brick. Like, ow. This child, this He probably child. got hit in the head again with that brick. Oh, I'm sure. And he's, like, 12. He's been concussed, like, 20 times in Million. his life already. The details of the attack are not laid out online, but allegedly he was bleeding from the ears and nose due to it. Like, that's fucking traumatic. I'm in shock. That's wild. How old old is he here? 11. He's like 11, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah, so this is now the third time he's had traumatic head injuries, and he's only 11. This is the third reported time that he's had traumatic head injuries, (laughs) and he's only 11. Specify, please, because that's, yeah. I'm sure it's happened quite a few times. So, shortly after leaving his uncle's house and experiencing this horrid attack, Angel went back to live with his mother at the age of 12, and he returned to school. Okay, well, at least he's going back to school. His mother would later tell sources that Angel was getting harassed at school, and at one point, he was sexually assaulted at the age of 13 or 14 by a group of older boys after going for a swim in a nearby river. He was seemingly, like, going for a dip, and he was sexually assaulted by, like, a number of people. That's awful. One attack. Is his mom saying that, like, is she is she leading up to him just not going to school anymore? Is that, like, essentially what she's doing? Because she's like, oh, he's going, but, like, he's not having a great time. No, I think this was, like, later on, like, when he did all the bad shit and got caught, she was, like, being interviewed, and, like, maybe, like, it correlated somehow, and she just mentioned that he had experienced this as a child. Well, it couldn't be her parenting. No, of course not. It's not her parenting. It was not. the school. The yeah. school had the problem. Because the, there's the boys that go to the school, so obviously it's yeah. the school's problem. Okay. It's not okay. It's not even the other boys' parents' problem. It's the school's it's issue. It's the school. Yeah. He hates school so much that he eventually does what he does. Yeah. Now, this attack was seemingly the last straw for Angel, and he decided that now he didn't only want to leave, he wanted to get as far away as possible from everything that was happening. Hmm. So about a year after he moved back in with his mom, he ran away from home yet again. It's reported that he spent some time in America in 1973, getting the lay of the land, perhaps, but quickly returned to Mexico afterward. But still only being 13. Yes. God, I can't even imagine that. He crossed the border into America by himself at 13. At 13. The first time. At the age of 16, he crossed the border yet again into Brownsville, Texas, but was found out by Border Patrol and deported back to Mexico two months later in August. Later that year, he returned to America twice more and was apprehended in Texas once again and in Michigan another time. He made it all the way to Michigan one time. He could have gone to Canada. Like, he was almost there. Just go. Yeah. He voluntarily left back to Mexico each time he was caught, however, mm. showing that, like, the first time, obviously, Border Patrol deported him. He was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to go ahead and go, you know, myself. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he ended up using his uncle's name, Rafael Resendez Ramirez, as his alias each time he got tangled up with the law. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, bitch. Maybe I shouldn't have been abusive. <laughs> Fuck. It was around this same time that he figured out the best way to get in and out of the country undetected. He would wait until no one was looking, and he would slip onto a boxcar of a freight train and hop on and off whenever he found a place that was appealing to him. Now, he's called the railroad killer for a reason. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So, So the beginning of an MO forming. Not to mention that it was, like, a hell of a lot easier to do this in, like, the 70s than it would ever be, like, today, of course. Now, in 1977, at the age of 18, Angel was convicted of destroying private property and leaving the scene of a crime in Mississippi, and he spent two weeks in jail before going back to Mexico. 
this is what probably like the fourth time that he's gone he's like come to america done something wrong and then got sent back right yeah Mm -hmm. oh don't worry i'm so excited for this (laughs) once he returned home his family noticed a huge change in him but they could not put their finger on it he was around 18 they noticed he had become devoutly religious and would frequently talk to himself in some sort of foreign language like seemingly praying i'd love to do that just in public that's like really scary just like have my head down and just chant (laughs) you know it's awful (laughs) like what the hell well his family were all devout catholics but they said that this was not the same style of practicing religion that they had done in their lives or like taught him to do because it was fake probably so i mean on their part on his part he's probably got schizophrenia i you know what we'll talk about (laughs) now he laid low for a couple years in mexico but in 1979 he crossed the border again this time making his way to florida He was arrested shortly after arriving in Tampa for Grand Theft Auto, but for some reason he was released on this charge. Not sure why. The cops probably didn't want to do the paperwork for someone that wasn't an American citizen. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) They were just like, well, we could go through the process of deporting you, but we don't have enough time. I don't know. (laughs) We don't really care. (laughs) Angel made his way through Miami, and he shortly found someone to take this pent-up anger that he's experiencing out on. He's 19 right now? He's 19. Okay. He broke into a random home with the intention of robbing the place for money and anything else that he could sell. He was shocked when he realized that the homeowner was there and coming to confront him, an 88-year-old man. No. Angel reacted to this confrontation by beating the old man ruthlessly and stealing his car to escape. Did he live? The man actually survived the attack and Angel was quickly arrested and taken into custody. So that's it. He's caught, right? Game He's over. He's Game over, right? Story, yeah. Story's done. You, yeah. There's, Everyone, there's a, a assault with probably maybe attempted murder. Um, assault of an elderly person. Grand theft auto. Breaking and entering. Breaking and entering. Theft. Theft. Um, crossing into a country that you're not arrested <laughs> of illegally. <laughs> yeah. like, that's not awesome having proper there. documentation. Yeah. All right. Going away for a long time, huh? In April of 1980, Angel Resendez was convicted of burglary aggravated battery and grand theft auto and sentenced to 20 years in prison oh wow that's the end of the story okay (laughs) all right thanks guys you can hit us up on instagram and (laughs) unfortunately we are all aware that the system is hella broken Mm -hmm. and angel was released in 1985 just five years into his 20-year sentence and a few weeks after his 25th birthday i'm sorry fucking what yeah oh my god are you okay over there? I'm rubbing my eyes because this is infuriating. <laughs> Upon his release, he was deported back to his hometown in Mexico. According to his mother, again later in an interview, Angel was actually gang raped numerous times during his time in prison. Oh my god! Fueling his anger for the world like even more. He's just like been a victim. Not that he's not responsible for what he's done, but he's been a victim of a lot of different fucking things in his whole life it's already. It's horrible. Like, how do, how do you know what, like, real love is? How do you yeah. know what real people are like, you know? I well, don't know. because, I mean, his dad immediately left, like, when he was, you know, really little, and then his mom sent him away, and then his uncle did that, and then, you know, same thing, like, it's just... And he, he hasn't was had able a, to a good example of go anything. to Mexico and Michigan... I'm sorry, leave Mexico and go to Michigan at age 13 and nobody was like, where are you? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Back at home, Angel was building up his plans to return to America 
now with a bad taste in his mouth from being arrested and incarcerated there. He did not waste much time, and in 1986, he was already making his way back across the border. Angel snuck back onto a train and made his way into Texas, where he landed in Bear County. Mm. <laughs> cute, cute. Upon arriving, Angel became acquainted with a woman who he met at a homeless shelter and made friends with her. Angel invited this woman on a motorcycle ride, which he had probably stolen because <laughs> what? I was like, where, when did he get the motorcycle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she agreed, and the two took off. Oh, also bringing a gun along intended for practicing shooting at targets. Quote, unquote. Sure. Let's see how this goes. They ended up stopping off at a random farmhouse, like, way on the outskirts of town, where they got off the motorcycle to just, like, wander around. To find some targets to shoot at, you know. During this time, according to Angel, he and this woman got into a verbal argument when she insulted him in some way. So, in his response, he shot her four times, killing her and abandoning her body at the farmhouse. She just left her there. Like, at some person's house? Yeah. So, he literally just, like, got mad, killed her, and then just, like, bye. What it sounds like to me is that she probably hopped on that motorcycle intending to get a ride somewhere. When he's driving her out to the middle of fucking nowhere, she's probably like, get me off this fucking bike. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a... Get me off this fucking bike, and then I bet she probably tried to go knock on a door and ask for help or some shit, and that's when he shot her. That's a good thought. I didn't think of it that way. I was thinking that maybe, like, they both were, like, wanting to maybe break into this home or something, and then she did say something that insulted him, and he got mad, but who knows? He's the only one that knows. Yeah. I mean, let's... We can all agree they weren't out for a leisurely motorcycle ride in the middle of the night to go watch the stars (laughs) and potentially make love in an orchard or something, you know? (laughs) Um, unfortunately, this woman has never been identified, and her remains were found on March 23rd, 1986. Ooh, but she's never, she's never been, been identified? identified. There's right. not much known about his next murder, but Resendez also confessed to shooting and killing a man that was supposedly his previous victim's boyfriend. The girl that he was with. Case closed. That's what I'm saying. Is like, she probably, maybe she was like, take me to my boyfriend's house. Yeah. Well. Shit. He was also homeless her boyfriend, so that would take <laughs> shit. You're right. My bad. Rosinda stated that he killed the man because he was involved in black magic, but authorities believe it was because he was either trying to cover his tracks from his previous murder or he was jealous of some kind. You know, yeah. one of them were. So maybe the boyfriend knew that she had hopped on the bike with him and he had to go yeah, kill the witness. Maybe so. Ooh. Either way, Angel confessed to dumping the man's body somewhere between San Antonio and Uvalde, but his remains were never found either. Who are these people? And he was never identified. Well, her remains were found, but he was never identified either. Wow. And that was 1986? Yeah. Okay. Wow. It was around this time that Angel began to believe that he was half man, half angel. No pun intended. And his purpose in this world was to rid it of evil by taking out people he thought were going against God. What? Okay. So now it's like... He's clearly schizophrenic. Yeah, but it's like this, you know, sanctimonious... Oh, it's like like, I have a higher purpose. Yeah, you know, vigilantism. It almost sounds like Andre Thomas, right? Yeah. He has the idea idea that, like, he's working on behalf of God and he's, like, doing the Lord's work. Right, and then it also kind of reminds me of, um, what was the British case? 
Oh, Alexander, Alexander Lewis ran well. Yeah, ran well when he thought that he was looking for that girl. Remember? Yeah, and yeah, he was yeah. having that yeah. psychosis issue. And he thought he was helping the police locate that girl. Yeah. <sighs> Shortly after these murders, Angel jumped on a train and headed away from the places of the attack. In June of the same year, 1986, Angel was arrested. However, he was not arrested for murder, as no one knew he was a murderer, or even that these two people were deceased or missing. Would they get him for, like, public intoxication? The arrest was in Laredo, Texas, when they discovered he had illegal identification showing that he was an American citizen. Oh, he could have just said, uh, I'm my uncle again. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm my uncle. Again. I am my own uncle. <laughs> because of this arrest, he was sentenced to 18 months in a Texas prison, but after only about a year, in August of 18, 1987, he was released and sent back to Mexico. I'd be very interested to know if, like, during his times of incarceration, if he wasn't a little bit um, less manic or having Like he got episodes. released on good behavior and stuff? Well, that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. But I'm wondering if, like, the routine and, you know, we talked about... Um, you know, home houselessness and how um, intransient people that their circadian rhythms off because yeah. they don't, you know, really know the time yeah. or whatever. And it's just like when it's nighttime, you sleep. And then when it's daytime, you wake up. But you don't really have a routine other than that. So I'm wondering if he didn't have like, like less lesser, symptoms. Yeah, lesser yeah. symptoms because he had a regular, you know, routine. He had to wake up at a certain time. He had probably wreck at a certain time. He had yeah. food at a certain time. And he had bedtime at a certain time. It's true. So. Which can, do, which can honestly do wonders for anybody with oh, mental, yeah, absolutely. mental health issues. For more than 10 years, Angel somehow laid low again and managed to stay out of trouble in Mexico. For over 10 years. Okay. Well, a, he didn't well. get caught for anything in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say rephrase that. It's not like he was like a golden child after that. It is unknown exactly how he spent this decade, but he was known to have traveled back to the U.S. in 1988 when he arrived in New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. He reportedly drifted around from there and ended up settling down in St. Louis, Missouri, picking up random jobs when he could. He was seemingly doing well in society, and he even registered with numerous temp jobs and somehow voted in two local elections while there. Oh my god. <laughs> I fucking love that, though. He just voted. I just love that. <laughs> he got ballsy, however, when he decided to try and apply for a social security card in November of 1988, and was caught in the process using false documents. I'm my uncle. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> he was sent back to prison for 30 months for this crime and was released in May of 1991 at the age of 31, once again deported back to Mexico. So it's just bam, 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 like, like ping-ponging. It's one of those things where it's like, it's like, okay, a bully, like a, like a frequent bully, like you know that kid's going to... <laughs> going to what the hell you know, you know that kid's going to i got like a weird like yeah. hiccup or something i was just trying to like ignore it like just push past it you know that kid is going to like escalate his crimes if you will or his like offenses mm -hmm. and like they always say like a bully like in the childhood is like probably gonna grow up to be like even worse and like this is pretty much what it is like it's just almost like his crimes are escalating right like in the very beginning it was like breaking and entering like gta like not really like human interaction crimes and now it's like he's he's murdered two people now and obviously the social security thing is a little different but it seems like they're escalating you <laughs> that's know that's what i was gonna say i was like you know it's kind of funny that <laughs> it's like he'll just continue to go back and try to file this paperwork like, yeah over and over again. 
But wouldn't the, like... I have that kind of frustration at the DMV. <laughs> wouldn't the prison officials, like, look at his past record and be like, oh, that's weird. Like, this guy's been in and out of prison for, like, multiple crimes. Like, wouldn't they... I would say they should probably put him in for more than 30 months, I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, or at least, like, I don't know if kept an eye on him, probation or something. Well, yeah, you would think it would be a... It's a federal crime, yeah. right? I mean, to try to... Falsify documents. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, that's really interesting to me. But, I, again, he's probably using a different alias and whatever else, you know? Yeah. So, it might just take longer to track down, I guess? I don't know. Either way, he was back out in the world and sent back to Mexico once again. Now, back home, Angel's rage continued to build, and he was already planning his next attempt to get back into the U.S. just a few months later. In July of 1991, Angel found himself back in Texas and still full of this anger and rage that he's been experiencing. On July 19th, Angel somehow linked up with a man by the name of Michael White in San Antonio, Texas. It is unclear how they met. Some sources say a homeless shelter, but that was not confirmed. You know, it's kind of nobody really knows. The two ended up in an abandoned house together for unknown reasons, and while there, some sort of altercation ensued, and Angel ultimately killed Michael White after this altercation. How did he kill him? Well, some sources say that he was shot multiple times, while others say that he was bludgeoned with a brick. With a brick. Do you remember when he was assaulted with a brick when he was a kid? I do. That's just, that's just weird. That, like... Right. You know? Like, the fact that he had that... Do you think that that's real or you think it's folklore? Because you said that it's... I don't know. Some people say. Some people say he was shot. Some people say he was bludgeoned. Not sure. With a brick specifically, though. Yeah. With a, that's the weird thing is with a brick specifically. Either way, um, unfortunately, Angel took the life of Michael and he ended up dumping this his body in the backyard of this home and taking off from the scene. That's so weird that he just, like, is just dumping people in other people's... Do you think it's because he wants them to be found? I'm not sure. Well, this home was actually vacant, but you right. know there was, like, a real estate agent or, like, you know, the homeowner sure. like, was there at some point, you yeah. know? So I'm not sure why. Well, and it... I mean, it, well, I think that you're thinking that it's, like, going to be in a nice neighborhood, which probably yes. isn't. Um, but either way, you would think that just people in the community would be walking around and would yeah. see something like that. Yeah, that's true. Angel later claimed that he killed Michael because he was gay, which okay, is like so that's such the first a thing, cop out. That's the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, went into an abandoned building for unknown reasons, two men in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we all know what you're doing. You're just not, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, for him to say that, which has been used so many times. I was actually oh, just yeah. watching a story recently of a guy who was married and was having an affair with his best, his best male friend. And he murdered the best male friend. Because he was so uncomfortable with his feelings about his male friend. He, like, it was his friend's fault, essentially, yeah. in his mind. Isn't that awful? That's disgusting. That's terrible. But he was like, oh, well, he was gay and he was dating this other guy. Like, he was, like, saying that he was dating another man. Like, it fucking matters. Like, it was the other guy. Yeah. They're gay. I'm not gay. They're yeah, gay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're murderers and they're gay. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm, I'm not fine. I'm not a murderer, nor am I gay. <laughs> Just to let everyone know. Just to let everybody know. Yeah. You're doing a terrible job. It's awful. Um, now, Michael, um, just to pepper it in, was 33 years old when he was murdered. 33? After this murder, Angel took yet another hiatus and drifted back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. for many years, taking small jobs in the process and allegedly sending money to his family back home. Between 1991 and 1997, Angel was arrested for numerous petty crimes, each time being deported back to Mexico, and each time somehow returning to civilization after serving a small amount of time in jail. 
represent. It was also at this time that Angel made a permanent move from Puebla to Rodeo, a small town about 400 miles from the Texas border. Get this. This probably seems far away, right? 400 miles? Well, yeah. But it was much closer than the 20-hour drive that he had been making from Puebla to the U.S. each time he crossed the border. 20 hours he was driving every time. I didn't even realize it was that far. I didn't either, and what the fuck? Like, that's like a whole day of driving. Like, and how many times has he has been he sent gone? back home now? Well, Isn't I'm that sure wild? Do you think he's taking a train? I'm sure he is. I'm sure like, he was. Up there, and then once he gets in the U.S., then he hops on another train but and goes like, to other places. That's a lot of effort. That is a lot of effort. Like, multiple times. Well, he... He clearly doesn't have a job, okay? He's got nothing else to do. Well, yeah, but also, like, this sounds really bad, but, like, wouldn't you just, like, commit your crimes, like, in the country that you live in if it's that much of an effort to get to another one? Like, just commit your crimes in Mexico. It's not convenient at all. It's called Rodeo, right? That's how you pronounce it. it's Rodeo. So, Rodeo was also a town that was right up Angel's Alley. It was known for heavy marijuana and stolen car sales on the black market. Cool. It was also the perfect place for him to lay low as the residents there kept their head do- heads down and stayed out of everyone's business, right? So he's like, no one's going to fuck with me. The people he did speak with around town, however, described him as a loner, quiet, kept to himself, but polite and friendly when conversing. They would say that he sometimes brought his right-sided politics or religious side out, but nothing too controversial that would ever start a disagreement. He's a, mm, what? I'm sorry. Mm. Usually they're Democrats, right? <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I'm just thinking you go into a house with another man in the middle of the night and you're a Republican? Yeah. Well, actually, that checks out. (laughs) Actually, actually did it. You know what? I take back what I said. It makes sense. That's all we're saying about that. (laughs) On top of his seemingly quiet lifestyle, he also learned a great deal of English, of course, from his time in the United States. And used that knowledge to get a job as an English teacher in the local school. So he did get a job. Oh. In the early 1990s, Angel met a woman by the name of Julieta Dominguez, who worked as a lab technician in a local health clinic. The two began seeing each other, Angel being a perfect gentleman the whole time. Hmm. He was known as being very chivalrous, holding the door for her and pulling out her chair. And he was always very honest with her about his time in the U.S., or at least as honest as he wanted to be. Right. He told her that he had been traveling from the U.S. to Mexico illegally since he was 16, trying to find work in the agricultural field while there. Julieta actually did not have a problem with him doing so, as he would make quite a bit more money in the States than he would at his teaching job in Mexico. The two became serious and eventually moved in together, setting up a routine of sorts for when Angel would travel to America for work. Wow, good for him. Oh. <laughs> I me. mean, he already killed people, so fuck him, but I'm just yeah. saying, like... But again, it goes back to the routine. Mm-hmm. He's got a routine now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They would live in Rodeo for one or two months, and then the two of them would go to various states where he could find seasonal work. In America. Julieta seemed not to know anything about Angel's criminal record or his violent tendencies, however. But he did tell her at one point that he was involved in a religious group that was anti-homosexuality and anti-abortion. But from what he told her about their gatherings, she thought it may have been more of a hate group than a religious club that he was trying to make <laughs> yeah, it no see. shit. <laughs> Jesus. It was actually, like, stated that that club or group or whatever he's talking about, like, probably didn't even exist. Like, he just said that. 
he probably thought it was really cool. Like, yeah. you know, like, I'm part of this thing that, like, saves babies and, like... I have know? this whole, like, crew behind me. Exactly. Like, yeah. like I'm the leader. <laughs> Call me the colonel. Call me the colonel. <laughs> and she was like, yes, colonel. <laughs> Notice me, colonel. Notice all me. Anomalies. <laughs> all anomalies. all anomalies. On March 21st, 1977, Angel was staying the night on a train car in Baldwin, Florida, when he came across Jesse Howell and Wendy Von Huben, a young couple that ran away from their homes in Woodstock, Illinois. Jesse was 19 and Wendy was 16, and the two had recently gotten engaged. They're just babies. They're babies. That's probably why they ran away from home, yeah. because they were babies and they were engaged. Mm. They stood out from the rest of the crowd at the rail yard due to their age and their clean appearances, as most of the people that frequented were homeless and a little bit older. According to Angel, he spotted a book in possession of the couple that had to do with the occult, and he immediately knew that they would be his next victims. They immediately knew they would be my best friends. And he was like, yeah, they're, like, anti-God, like, I have to, yeah. like, play out my mission, right? my mission. Yep, gotta save the babies. He also made the assumption that since they had this book in their possession, they must be into witchcraft, and therefore not Christian. So he felt as though he needed to kill them. Could you imagine that? Like, someone justifying it like that? Yeah, like you're walking down the street minding your own fucking business and somebody doesn't like your pants. Yeah. And they kill you. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Angel casually struck up a conversation with a young couple, learning about them running away from home, and they had also recently become low on money in, like, the previous few days. Like, they had shared that with him. The couple had allegedly been sleeping on trains and under bridges while trying to figure out how to make extra money. So he, had, like, is asking them actual questions about who they are as people. Yeah. Getting to know them with the intention of trying to kill them. Yes. Or going to kill them. Yes. It's awful. It's demented. Wendy had apparently called her parents earlier that same day and asked for money to get a train back home. But it was unclear whether or not her parents were willing to send it. Seemingly not. Uh, they both also admitted to having looked for work that did not require ID, as they didn't want to be risked, didn't want to risk being tracked down by their families. So, kind of seems like Wendy was asking her parents for money, like telling them that she's going to use it to get home, and she just was going to use it to keep going. Yeah. Angel told them of his petty jobs and that he was actually on his way to work in the orange fields in southern Florida. He told the couple that they were welcome to join him to make some extra money. Like he's like even trying to help them. No, he's not. He's just trying to get them away from where they are. But still, Jesse and Wendy agreed and hopped on the train with Angel. On March twenty third, the train made a stop in Bellevue, Florida, and Angel hopped off the train along with Jesse. Wendy stayed behind, and Angel realized that he had the perfect opportunity to attack Jesse, or either. Jesse, because they both walked to the train together, and Wendy stayed on the right. train, because he, like, got them separate. Yeah. When Jesse had his back turned, Angel picked up a rubber hosing lined with metal, it's what's used to hold the train cars together, and struck Jesse over the head with it, killing him immediately. Oh my god. Like, the rage. That's, that's a lot of force. Angel drug Jesse's body away from the area, leaving it alongside the train tracks, and headed back to the boxcar. After returning to the car, it's unclear what Angel told Wendy about what happened with Jesse, because obviously he didn't come back with them. Right. Some people believe that he told her that Jesse just disappeared or that he didn't say anything about Jesse at all and somehow, like, just held Wendy hostage in order to get him to leave with her. Either way, uh, Wendy and Angel took off with the train, leaving Jesse's body abandoned and Wendy freaking out because she didn't know where he was. Yeah. 
After traveling 15 miles further south, the train stopped once again in Oxford, Florida. This time, Angel and Wendy exited the car together. It's unknown whether he, like, threatened her to get off with him or not, but either way, she followed him off of the train car. I wonder if he was like, oh, Jesse decided he's gonna, he told me he's mad at you, he's gonna hop on another car. Or, I think he said or something he's like gonna that. meet us down there because he got a ride. Or he, whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think she would leave if she thought that he was still there. I, I agree. Content warning for this next part. After the two were out of sight, Angel overtook Wendy and raped her, then proceeded to strangle her to death. He later admitted to also sodomizing her corpse as well. Oh my god. Like, escalated quickly That's, on that one. Yeah. He then covered her body with a blanket and left it next to the tracks, similarly to Jesse. That's what I was saying about the girl on the motorcycle. I wonder if he was if he wasn't gonna sexually assault her. Maybe and so. then she fought and then he shot her because yeah, she was making so. too much noise or something. Now I wanna pepper in the fact that remember he said he's doing the Lord's work by killing these people? Yeah. But if he really thought that, then why did he rape her? Right. Like why was it his duty of the Lord to rape his victims? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make like any you were trying sense. to rid the world of evil. You're like contradicting yourself by doing that. After he covered Wendy's body, he returned to the train car and sat out of sight, laying back and just falling asleep. Taking a nap. Taking an afternoon nap. Just a cat nap. On July 5th, 1977, a drifter was beaten to death with a piece of plywood nearby a rail yard. This murder has not been confirmed to be Angel's, but he is suspected of committing it. It seems like bludgeoning is the thing, so I wonder if he didn't hit that guy with a brick instead of shoot him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he strangled her. He strangled Wendy. He did strangle Wendy, but maybe because she's a female. Maybe so. Because apparently he did shoot that other girl, and shooting, you know, as long as it's not in the face, isn't really the defamation of the face. Yeah. But with the guys, it seems like he likes to hit him over the head. Yeah, that's true. This next story that I'm going to share is a really well-known story on its own, and you'll find out why in a little bit. Um, but I will say that the story that I'm about to cover in relation to Angel, um, Morbid does a really, really great episode on just this story, so I would definitely re- cool. suggest listening to it. On the evening of August 28, 1977, Chris Mayer and Holly Dunn were driving to a friend's birthday party in Lexington, Kentucky. After a few hours of enjoying their friends, Chris suggested that the two get away from the crowd and go for a walk together. They brought some beers with them and headed out of the party. They found themselves sitting on a nearby railroad track as they sipped their beers and shared stories for a while. Not the railroad track. They decided to head back to the party, and as they gathered their things to leave, that's when a man appeared from the shadows. Fucking terrifying. (laughs) You guessed it, Angel Risen. (laughs) As he walked toward the couple, he demanded, quote, give me your money. Holly could not see much, but noticed that the man had very dark eyes. She responded, quote, we don't even have a dollar on us. Angel then pulled out some sort of weapon, either an ice pick or a knife, and held it to Chris's neck, pushing him to his knees in the process. He proceeded to dig through Chris's bag when Holly stated, quote, I've got a credit card or we can give you a car. Angel looked at Holly and responded, quote, no. Like, you just asked me for money, and now you're refusing what I'm offering you? Well, because, I don't know, well, because credit cards, he probably believed could be tracked anyways, right? That's true. The couple became confused as to why he would not take what they were offering him. But the car, I don't understand, though. Yeah. He could probably take the car. Angel then ripped the strap off the backpack and used them to tie Chris's hands behind his back. He then used Holly's belt to tie her hands. Chris repeated the offer of the car, stating, quote, please, take our car. Angel once again refused the offer and instead grabbed Chris by the shirt and dragged him to the other side of the train tracks. 
Holly, not wanting to leave her boyfriend, of course, followed the two. Holly and Chris were then forced down a ditch on the side of the tracks. Holly looked at Chris and said, quote, are you okay? Angel told her to be quiet as he was still rustling through the backpack. He located a white t-shirt and ripped it up into pieces. Angel then forced both Holly and Chris to their stomachs and tied their legs up. He also tied both of their mouths with pieces of cloth like a gag. Holly was somehow able to think super logically and actually stuck her tongue out while he gagged her so that she could still talk. Mm -hmm. Smart girl. Angel walked back to the tracks, and Holly used the opportunity to try and loosen her belt from around her arms. She was able to get the belt loose enough so that her hands were free, and she asked Chris, quote, Can you free your hands? Before Chris could answer, Angel was back. Holly put her hands behind her back to make it look like they were still tied. Once again, Angel went back to the tracks. Holly used this time to get the gag out of Chris's mouth, and he said, quote, It's going to be okay. <sighs> Content warning for this next part. Oh, dang. At the same moment, Angel returned, this time holding an enormous rock weighing about 50 pounds. Chris repeated, quote, it's all okay. Not a second after he said that, Angel had dropped the rock on Chris's head, killing him instantly. Oh my god, that's awful. I can, like, literally not, it's like I have body chills and I'm sweating. Like, I can literally not even imagine that. That makes me so sad, like, I can't even imagine Holly immediately looked away as she saw what was about to happen, but she could not escape the sound that she heard. Holly immediately went into survival mode, and her only thought was, quote, I need to save Chris and myself. Holly looked at Angel and said, quote, I think my friend is gurgling. Can you please turn his head to the side so he doesn't choke? Angel responded in a calm and collected voice, quote, you don't need to worry about him. He's gone. <sighs> Everyone take a deep breath. We're still going. Angel went to his next plan of attack, Holly, of course. He pulled her pants off and jumped on top of her, saying, quote, Look how quickly I could kill you. He then proceeded to rape Holly, and when he was done, she asked him if she could put her pants back on. He agreed, and Holly immediately began to try to humanize herself. She told him that her name was Sarah, and she said, quote, I have a family who care about me. Quote, you can let me go. I won't tell anyone. During the time she was pleading, she was also digging her nails into the ground in order to try to leave her DNA behind. Smart girl. Angel ignored her pleas and began hitting her with a plank of wood over and over. She was drifting in and out of consciousness, but eventually laid very still. She remembers hearing him leaving and thinking, quote, You left me alive. I'm going to get you one day. Damn. <laughs> literally have full body chills. Bad bitch. She fell into unconsciousness for an unknown period of time, but when she awoke, it was still dark outside. She somehow stumbled to a nearby home where she pushed past the screen door and opened the main door, approaching a man inside. The man looked terrified, and Holly somehow was able to get, quote, help out. The man called 911 and sat with her until the police arrived. Holly told them, quote, my boyfriend is out there. You need to go get him. Paramedics carried her out on a stretcher and put her in an ambulance. Holly suffered a broken jaw, a smashed eye socket, and a stab wound in her neck, along with alive. many other cuts and bruises. Holly would be the only survivor of the railroad killer's victims. And Are she you wrote serious? she wrote a story, like she wrote a novel about She's it. She's the only one that survived. Yeah. And it was not intentional. He meant he meant to kill her, yeah. obviously. That's intense. 
That's a lot. Okay, so that story that I just said, obviously there's a bunch of direct quotes because she survived. Morbid does a really, really, really great podcast episode on that. I think it's called The Surviving, the Amazing Survival of Holly Dunn or something like that. Mm-hmm. But definitely go listen to it because that's what I heard that story before I even researched this case. Whew, it's wild. That's a roller coaster. Yeah, what a badass. She wrote like an entire like autobiography almost on, on her story. I feel so bad for Chris though. So oh my god, that's so awful. I can't even imagine. Um, well. In October of 1998, Angel hopped off of a train that was stopped in East Texas and made his way to a little town by the name of Hughes Springs. He came upon the home of 87-year-old Leafy Mason, which was just 50 yards from the railroad tracks, and entered through her window. Once inside, Angel got a hold of a fire iron and beat Leafy to death with it. The fuck is a fire iron? I think it's like like a like it's not a fire poker, but it's one of those tools that's used to yeah. mess with the fire. It's like I mean, arguably, if you're gonna grab one, it's gonna be the poker. Yeah, probably. I mean, you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna do what is the what's the other thing called? The, the shovel? No, oh, the, the air thing. <laughs> the little accordion air thing. <laughs> it's called something. It's a, be- it's a bellow. Oh. You're not going to grab the bellow, right? You're going to grab a... <laughs> Dry your gonna... eyes out. <laughs> Dry your eyes out with this bitch. It's terrible. <laughs> Hold That's on, terrible. I'm going to start a fire. So. so yes, unfortunately, Leafy did not survive the attack. Her body was covered with a blanket, which was actually key in identifying that this was linked to Resendez because of other victims that had been similarly left. In December of the same year, Angel was riding through Georgia when he allegedly hopped off at a stop in Carl and wandered to a nearby home. Inside, 81-year-old Fanny Whitney Byers. Why is he... I mean, I know why he's attacking elderly people, but which is just... It's just gross. It's terrible. Not that anybody deserves to be attacked. I'm just saying, like... Well, it's like... just awful. They always say it. Might as well just kill small children. You know, it's sad. I feel like we've said it before, too, but it's like, imagine living 81 years and then this fucking piece of shit is the reason that you're gone on this earth. And then people, like, have such amazing lives, you know, like, it's, you know, people that have gone to war and, like, come back and been murdered. Like, it's just awful. It's just fucked up. Fanny was found bludgeoned to death with a tire rim, the victim of a homicide. A tire rim? Yeah. Literally anything he can put his hands on. The crime... The crime? The crime in question. (laughs) The crime was originally linked to a Lexington couple, but Resendez allegedly confessed to an FBI agent that he was the one that did it. Like, obviously later. A week later, on December 16th, Dr. Claudia Benton was murdered in her home in West University Place, Texas, a small town within Houston city limits. Her husband and two children were out of town at the time, so she was alone that night. Angel entered her home and began to attack her in bed, delivering multiple stab wounds to her back and hands, like defensive wounds. She had 19 blunt force injuries to her head in total, including three depression fractures to her skull. Oh my god. An autopsy report revealed that she had also been sexually assaulted. Multiple things were stolen from her home, including her Jeep via jump-starting the vehicle. Police were able to gain evidence from the home, including fingerprints from the steering column of the Jeep that was broken off. Fucking dummy. On December 18th, 1998, the San Antonio police discovered Dr. Benson's stolen Jeep in a motel parking lot in San Antonio near the railroad tracks. Police obtained the Jeep and swept it for evidence. Now, the beginning of 1999 started some big life events for Angel. You remember Julieta? Well. (laughs) No. I said no. Sorry. His wife. Oh. (laughs) Poor Julieta. Well, they were still together at this time, and she was actually pregnant with their daughter. Oh, no. <laughs> look, look over. <laughs> I 
looked into your research. I'm like, bitch, what's next? What, you, what happened? Though this should have been the most important thing in his life, Angel had other ideas of what he wanted to focus on. And by May, he was back in America. Murdering people. You guessed it. On May 2nd, Angel broke into the horn. I'm going to let that one go. I'm not even going to make fun of you for that one. Go ahead. <laughs> On May 2nd, Angel broke into the home of Norman Skip Cernick and his wife, Karen. <laughs> what? <laughs> it just sounded like an Australian accent. Harm. Harm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't do Harm. <laughs> On May 2nd. On May 2nd. Angel broke into the harm of Norman Skip Cernick and his wife, Karen. And <laughs> his wife. Him and his wife. That was, like, more New Zealandy. Oh, that was good. I didn't even... Okay. I like that The one. best part about it is that I didn't even notice that it sounded Australian until you commented on it. I was like, LOL. Well, I said I wasn't going to make fun of you for it, but it just was so much better when I did. Yes. Now we all know that he broke into the home of Norman Skip Sternick and his wife, Karen. Okay. okay. <laughs> Their home was located behind a church where Skip was the pastor. This home was also across the street from the train tracks in Weimer, Texas. Weimer. Weimer. Angel entered their home and caved both of their skulls in with a sledgehammer. Whoa. Sexually defying Karen's corpse afterward. Church members began to worry when the couple did not show up to the service the next day, and they went over to check on them, discovering the horrible scene. On June 1st, 1999, Angel was picked up by the Border Patrol and taken into custody near the border around El Paso. He was allowed to return to Mexico the following day. Oh, my God. Two days after this, on June 4th, he returned to Texas with the intent to kill again. Angel broke into the apartment of 26-year-old Naomi Dominguez in Houston, Texas, and sexually assaulted her before fatally wounding her with a pickaxe. He was allowed to return to Mexico. What the fuck? What is going on here? He then stole Noemi's car and used it to drive to yet another victim's house, Josephine Convica, 73, in Fayette County, Texas. Same day? Same day. Fuck. Angel used the same pickaxe to murder Josephine. What? Leaving it in her head before leaving the scene. I bet uh, if it was around the time that they were collecting, like, DNA and they could actually process I bet... I bet investigators would be very fucking confused when they would fucking test that pickaxe. Oh, yeah. Be very confusing. Like, this killed someone else, like, yesterday. Yeah. Like, or earlier today. Assuming that that person was even found yet. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. God. They're just like, wait, that's weird. Like, it's got somebody else's blood on it. Could this be the perpetrator? But now we have fingerprints linking us to this motherfucker. This person, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Ten days later, on June 14th, the LA Times reported that investigators were looking for a, quote, Mexican drifter named Rafael Resendez Ramirez. Oh! In connection with, quote, six deaths in Texas and one in Kentucky, all brutal beatings that took place near railroad tracks. Did they go arrest the uncle? Tell me they fucking arrest the uncle, because that'd be hilarious. Well, he's in Mexico, you know. Yeah. They're not going to work that hard. Sure. Fucking LA. They released this information once they were able to test evidence from recent crime scenes and obviously placed him at each one. The following day, after this was released, Angel broke into the home of 18-year-old George Morber Sr. 18-year-old, 81-year-old. <laughs> he was a senior and he was 18. <laughs> <sighs> a senior. Was like with the his, home was like of 18-year-olds. 18 18 year <laughs> 
owns a home. <laughs> and he's a senior. <laughs> he's 81. Okay. About 100 yards away from a set of railroad tracks in Gorham, Illinois. George went out to grab the morning paper, and when he returned, he was bound by Angel and then shot in the head with a shotgun. George's daughter arrived at the home shortly after, and Angel was still there when she entered. Oh my gosh. That's he, so scary. He beat her with the shotgun so brutally that it no. snapped in half. Angel ended up leaving numerous fingerprints all over the home before stealing George's truck and making his way back to Mexico. I can't even... I can't even. Neither one of them survived. That's awful. Oh my god. Like you just show up guy. to your dad, like to pick up your dad for like, and then you find him like chore or like errands or something dead, and then and then you get killed, and then you're also murdered. <sighs> Scary. I wonder how long he was there before she got there. Oh, I'm sure it was like probably a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wonder if he knew she was coming. Nah, I don't think so. You know, I think so? he just like took his time <laughs> gathering just... things from the home. Ugh. Hung out. I really hate this guy. Yeah, he's the worst. Okay. A I week later, dead. a week later, the LA Times, still referring to Angel as Raphael, put his name in the 457th spot of the 10 most wanted list. I'm sorry. Wait. Okay. So I'm assuming they have a photo of him. They have a photo of him. Well, they might have just put his name out. I don't think they have a photo of him. Oh, well, they do because they tested his evidence and fingerprints, but they don't have his real name. <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing is that he was denied all of these other forms of identification and they can't even identify him. Yeah. That pisses me off. Yeah. What is wrong with our system? <laughs> well, this was in the early, the late 90s too. Yeah, still. Although the FBI eventually fixed the error, they still used both names when referring to him in order to get the best <laughs> shot at catching him. Because a lot of people know him by Raphael though. It makes sense. On June 28th, 1999, U.S. custom agents prepared to open a train car north of Laredo, Texas, in order to intensify train car searches. Mm. Once finding out his real name, police were able to track down Angel's sister, Manuela, when she reached out to them after seeing a wanted poster of him. Of her own brother? Manuela feared that her brother might kill someone else or be killed by the FBI when they're trying to capture him, so she agreed to help them. She began working with Texas Ranger Drew Carter, and they agreed to set up a meet with her brother, Angel Resendez, not mm. Rafael. On July 13th, 1999, Angel Resendez, accompanied by his sister, two brothers, and a pastor, apparently he had fucking brothers, surrendered, <laughs> <laughs> surrendered on an El Paso border crossing bridge, shaking Ranger Carter's hand as he did so. He's like, he surrendered? what up, I'm Angel, take me. Yeah, pretty much. For the first time in person, Texas Ranger Drew Carter laid eyes upon the five-foot-tall, 190-pound weasel who had been responsible for such heinous crimes as the railroad killer. He does look like a weasel. I've seen he's terrible looking. Him. Yeah. He and he's does. a little shrimp. He is. He's, he's tiny. Resendez was arrested and tried for the murder of Claudia Benson, the crime in which they had the most concrete evidence of him. The trial and hearing was pretty cut and clear. Resendez pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, claiming he was an avenging angel sent by God to punish those that he thought, quote, were evil and deserved to die. The jury didn't buy it, and he was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. <gasps> Is he dead? Just wait. <laughs> Sorry. On June 21st, 2006, a Houston judge ruled that Resendez was mentally competent to be executed. Upon hearing the judge's ruling, Angel said, quote, I don't believe in death. I know the body is going to go to waste, but me, as a person, I'm eternal. I'm going to be alive forever. Wrongo. Is he dead? <laughs> Tell me he's dead. He's already Just dead. Just let me get to it. 
He told psychiatrists that he could not be executed because he didn't believe he could die. That's all it is. You just have to believe. Statements like such have actually led others to believe that he actually is insane because of things like that. Right. Angel received an execution date of Friday, January 6th, 2006 by lethal injection. Angel put in an appeal for his death sentence, so the date got pushed back to June 27th, 2006. However, this appeal would still be pending at the time of the new date, and it got overlooked due to the signed death warrant for the murder of Claudia Benton. So they didn't even, like, take his appeal seriously. They're just like, nope, sorry. Mm -hmm. He was housed in the Polunsky unit in West Livingston, Texas, awaiting execution. For his last meal, Angel declined to eat at all. Not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm no immortal. Thanks. I actually don't eat no because thanks. I'm immortal. I'm watching the old waistline. Thank you very much. I'm watching the old waistline. <laughs> Gotta get a Diet Coke with that bucket of fried chicken. <laughs> bucket of fried chicken. <laughs> God's awful. On June 27th, 2006, Angel Maturino Resendez was executed in the Huntsville unit in Huntsville, Texas by lethal injection. In his final statement, Resendez said, quote, I want to ask if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask you to forgive me and ask the Lord to forgive me for allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank God for having patience in me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You do not deserve this. I deserve what I'm getting. Now you're reflecting and now you, like, accepted the fact that you're actually going to die, like, even though you said you couldn't? Maybe now he has the routine, though. Those last words might have been genuine because he always thought he was doing the Lord's work up until this point, right? I guess. And now he's, like, saying, like, I was fooled by the devil. Devil made me do it. True. I don't know. I don't know. That is an intense case. I'm not done. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Angel Macherino Resendez was pronounced dead at 8.05 p.m. Claudia Benton's husband, George, was present at the execution and said Resendez was, quote, evil contained in human form, a creature without a soul, no conscience, no sense of remorse, no regard for the sanctity of human life. Holly Dunn has written a book about her survival story entitled Soul Survivor, if you'd like to look into her story a little bit more. But that is the case of Angel Resendez, a.k.a. the real world killer. I was going to ask you about Holly and and uh, if he was ever tried for any crimes against her. He was only tried and convicted of the crime for Claudia Benson because they had the most concrete evidence on that. Really, all they wanted to do was kill him, unfortunately. Uh, So no no other charges were ever brought up on anything else. Mm -hmm. All of his other victims, even Holly... Um, but she is since married and has a family. She has kiddos. I don't know how many kids she has, but, um, I've definitely watched, like, interviews with her and stuff. She just seems like such a light, and she, I mean, badass for being yeah. able to write that story and stuff. So, yeah. That's wow. the story. That is a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> and happening locally, too. That's, like, insane. I know. That I, stuff is kind of all around us. It was just, like, you know, he didn't really have a fucking, cho- like, chance from the very beginning. Like, he was immediately thrown in, like, he was literally knocked unconscious within seconds of being born. Like, that's terrible. And he was immediately thrown into, like, the abuse and, like, learning about things too early and, you know, being neglected and all this stuff. Right. And being bullied and everything. And then it was, like, once he killed, he was like, oh, like, that's the move. Like, this, I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah, and, like, this makes me feel somehow better. got away with it for so long. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he didn't live in America full-time. He wasn't an American citizen. He also used that alias, of course, when he was arrested and stuff. And it was... The transient kind of lifestyle, like the railroad tracks mm-hmm. or whatever, like that was what he used to like not stay in the same place for too long. Right. You know? So unfortunately he got away with it a it, lot longer than, you know, he should have. But. Definitely seems like there's like a manic pattern though, because mm-hmm. it was very, 
Like when you talked about the travel times and then, you know, being in New Orleans and being in Florida and then being in Michigan and then being in California or whatever. And like all of this, it's just interesting. Like that he had that his focus. I don't know what his focus would have been because yeah. it's not like he was really working at a certain point and he was just traveling on a train. I think he was really just trying to like look for victims and figure out like, okay, what, what can I get away with? Like who's most vulnerable? Like who am I going to target? Yeah. And, well, like, I, if anything, I'd just get, like, a fucking road trip out of it. Like, if I don't end up Or some money, if, yeah. even if he didn't murder somebody. Because he definitely was comfortable with B&Es and GTA yeah. and stuff like that, so... Yeah, no, it was really wild. It was, like... It, it doesn't even sound like a real person's life. Like, he got away with so much. Like, in, especially, like, being incarcerated and released, like, however many times he was. Being caught and sent back home every single time. Like, he was probably caught and sent back home to uh, Mexico, like, 25, 30 times. Yeah. Like... It's just crazy that he was able to, to continue to get away with that, and especially with his wife and everything, too. Like, he said that he was honest with her about what he did in America. He was, I mean, he was honest, but to a point. Like, he didn't yeah. tell her everything, obviously, but yeah. It's pretty wild. Good for his sister, though. That must have been really hard. I'm sure. To, I'm, you know, bring him. I'm sure she recognized that her brother needed help. Oh, of course. Yeah, and I'm sure she was able to convince age. him to, to surrender himself. So, yeah. somehow, like... He knew he was doing the wrong thing, even if he was trying to excuse it with the whole Lord's work thing. It's kind of unfortunate that it seems like he had quite a few adults around him at a young age and nobody did anything. No, yeah, absolutely. And everyone kind of contributed to the abuse rather than, like, trying to prevent it from yeah. happening. So I'm sure his sister probably felt like if she was older, she probably could have been a better influence. Yeah, potentially. Or helped him, because clearly she wanted him to get help. Yeah. I think it's definitely um, a case of untreated schizophrenia, undiagnosed, um... With the, especially with, like, the, the hallucinations that he has, like, the hearing and, like, the, the mindset that he has to do this because this is, call, like, a higher calling. Like, that's right. definitely a, a symptom of that. I don't really think he had any kind of narcissism. Like, I don't think, I just no. think he was, like, so, I think he really believed, like, what he was doing. Especially, like, with Holly's story where, like, he was so, like, stoic. And, like, he, like, he had such a focus in his mind. Like, I need to do this. Like... This is the this, this is, is the task, and the task needs to get done, and I'm not going to let anything stop me or distract me. Right. You know, like, when she was like, you know, can you check on my friend? And he was like, oh, don't worry about him. Like, he's gone. Like, that, he was in my mind. He's like, that task is complete, and done. now move on to the next one. It yeah. was almost like a, a list, right? Right. Like, like organization. Immense organization, almost. Yeah, that's wild. But yeah, that's my story. <laughs> It was interesting. Yeah. Thank you. You guys uh, can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Killer Diagnosis. I know people. some people have been commenting on the Instagram posts. Uh, please send us an email. We want to hear from you guys for show, uh, diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. If you want to support us monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash diagnosingakiller. We also have TikTok. We need to update the TikTok, <laughs> Diagnosing a Killer, on that. But we will see you guys next time when we have a brand new case. Thanks for joining us today. And that's it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Fuck, I keep hitting the fucking tray. <laughs>